Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, so glad that you're here. So glad that you've taken time out of busy schedule in this time of year for us to just stop and worship together. And so what I want us to do for just a few minutes is stop and just reflect on what it is that we're worshiping, what we're celebrating at Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. Because it is so easy as we get into the season and the busyness of all of it for that to kind of get clouded over with so many other things. And so I want us just to pause tonight and think about what it is that we're celebrating, the very true heart of what God has done for us in Jesus. And so if you've been with us, we've been working through a series for Advent, just the last, this is the fifth of five weeks now, of kind of selections in the book of Hebrews. And as we've been doing that, we've just been kind of shining a light on different things that it tells us about how wonderful Jesus is. And so we're going to end that tonight as we look at this Hebrews 10 passage together. And this is the way I want us to think about it. Uh, banner being over everything, the true meaning of Christmas and what it really means. And the way I want us to think about it is first, I just want us to consider the ways in which we might miss it, how we can easily miss it in our culture and all the things that are going on. So how we might miss it. Secondly, what is the true meaning of Christmas? And then lastly, why it is so wonderful when we see the true meaning, how we can miss it, what it truly is and why it's so wonderful. And so let's just start at the beginning with how can we often miss it? And so I could talk a lot, and, and all of us, I think, could, could easily add into this as we think about it, uh, the ways in which commercialization, busyness, shopping, cooking, all the things that get kind of piled on this time of year can start to crowd out the true meaning and what's going on. It's so easy for that to happen at different times, and it's a, it's a constant bombardment. In fact, it's gotten to the case in our society where everything kind of Christmas and pushed on us and just all the things about it in our society, they start now really like November 1st. Uh, I gauge this by Home Depot. Uh, I go into Home Depot uh, at the end of October and it's all Halloween stuff. And then you walk in November 1st and it's all Christmas stuff. And so for two months, we get a constant bombardment of all these things. And what we get in our society a lot of times is, is buy stuff and get ready and you've got to do all these things. And we're kind of pushed all these things on us about what makes Christmas important. People start talking about the Christmas spirit. Uh, you start to hear the songs everywhere all around us. And what you really get if you stop and listen and you start to listen closely, what's underneath that in our culture when we talk about a Christmas spirit. And you get all kinds of things. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day with the boys. We were sitting in a, a sandwich shop this week. And sitting there and, and over the, the PA is playing. It's, it's Frank Sinatra singing about uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, right? Like, you know the words, you know the song, you've probably heard it a million times. He's making his list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty or nice, Santa Claus is coming to town. And then right after that, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, you better be good for goodness sake, like the whole, all of that, right? Like you hear those everywhere, and it's in everything. That's the Christmas songs, it's what we hear Everywhere we go, people start talking about the Christmas spirit, uh, Hallmark movies on, all these things. All of it, though, if you listen carefully to what our society says, it's kind of a version of the, the Santa Claus is coming to town. Be better. Be good. Right? The Christmas spirit is about giving and generosity and, and loving others and, and doing well. And uh, I actually looked up this week. I read a couple articles about uh, different people defining what is the Christmas spirit. And I was kind of, I wasn't taken aback. I wasn't surprised because it all kind of flows right together. 
But, but one of the articles, the lady made the case, she said, uh, the Christmas spirit is really about a code of generosity and kindness and charity towards others. And it's enforced by no one other than ourselves. That we've got to look down and we've got to be better. And at this time of the year, we talk about the Christmas spirit. And so we want to be generous and we want to be kind and we want to love one another. And all those things are great. But what it says as I was reading that is when you think about the songs that we sing and the way that it gets told to us is the Christmas spirit is something that we've got to dig down and do right in the same article a little later. It said it's we act out the Christmas spirit and we make it visible, this collective force, and we give it power when we decide to do this. And that's the way our society thinks about it a lot. It's about what we do and how we do it and be better. Right. The, the naughty or the nice list. Good, good boys and girls get presents and bad boys and girls get coal in their stocking and all those kind of things that we're told. And what it pushes us towards is it's all about being better. Right. This is the Christmas spirit so often in our culture. In fact, it, it's so ingrained. It's become such a part of the way that we operate. People have uh, cashed in on it quite literally. Um, I think it was about 10 years ago. Somebody came up with a great idea of elf on a shelf, if you're familiar with this, right? An, an elf in your house that's a, a scout elf that comes into your house to watch you, which I got to say is a little bit creepy if you stop and think about it, that you're going to bring an elf into your house and let him spy on you. Uh, I was actually watching the trailer. I went and looked it up, the elf on the shelf trailer. He flies back to, to uh, the North Pole to tell Santa Claus how you're doing each, each night. If you're making the the good list or the bad list. And so you give the scout elf kind of free reign of your house and he, he checks everything out. But the idea there behind that is this pressure will make you better, right? If you have this person watching and you have this, this elf there, he'll make you better and then maybe you can end up on the nice list, right? That's even the way they do the commercial. The elf is there and if you do well enough, then you get on the nice list. And so they're watching you kind of as you do it. Actually, I was thinking about it. The Santa Claus coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. The song got it wrong. It's the elves that watch you, actually. I guess that's artistic license in the song. But they're watching you as you sleep and as you're awake, right? And so the idea is, are you good enough that you can get on the nice list? And that's kind of where it is in our society. You get bombarded with this idea all the time. But here's the thing that I want you to consider. We should not be surprised by that if we know what Scripture tells us. Right? What the Bible tells us is that we're sinful. Sin is we've ignored God in the world that he's created. We've decided that God is not the center of all things, but that we are the center of all things. And because we've decided we're the center of all things, the way that we fix the problems in the world is we look inward and we make it about us. Let's join together and lock arms and this is the Christmas spirit and our generosity will break through and we'll give it power in the world when we do it together. And that's the way our culture talks. And we believe that or so many people kind of get swept up in that because of the sinfulness of our heart that wants to believe that's all about us. And so if we think about that in biblical terms or theological terms, what the Bible tells us, it's works-based righteousness. That you can do some things so that you're okay. That it's all about you and what you do and being better and trying harder. And so we get that. That's the Christmas spirit. Let's all be kind and let's do it. And let's lock arms and we can do it together. And what ends up happening when we start to do that and we start to operate that way 
is we've subtly changed the focus to us and what we do and being better. But the problem is what Scripture tells us is we can never do enough, that we can never be enough. We can never make everything right by what we do. In fact, that's what Hebrews says to us over and over. Listen to what it says at the beginning of chapter 10 of Hebrews. It says, for since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of the realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They may say, okay, what in the world does that have to do with Christmas? All these sacrifices and the priests and offerings. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. And what we've been saying as we're working through is this is a sermon letter written to the early church. Right? So early Christians struggling with the things that are going on in life. They're being persecuted. There's lots of hard things going on. And so the author of Hebrews writes this sermon letter to say that you're struggling and the answer is to look to Jesus. Right? That, that's really what we've been saying throughout Hebrews. That's the whole idea of Hebrews. Jesus is better than everything else. But in the book of Hebrews, the way the author does it is it takes you through all the things that they had been doing for their whole history, through all of Israel's history. All the worship and the sacrifices and the temple and the law and all these things. And the author says over and over, and all those things that God gave would never make you right. They were always to point you ahead to a savior that's coming. Jesus is better than the law and he's better than the temple and he's better than the priest and he's better than the sacrifice. And so all the way through, that's what it's saying. And so you get here in chapter 10 and it starts to say to you, that all the sacrifices and doing it year after year can never make you clean. It can never make you right. It can never fix the problem. And in fact, it was never meant to fix the problem. God didn't give the sacrifices to fix the problem. He gave the sacrifices so that they would know that there's a problem, that we would know that there's a need. And then you would go and you'd go through this process and you would recognize that you're sinful and that you're separated from God. And that you can't do it. And it served as a reminder year after year. It actually says that in verse 2. Or at the end of verse 1. It serves as this reminder year after year. And so you could never ever do enough. And so you go, okay, well still, what does that have to do with Christmas? My point is that's exactly what we do in our society with Christmas. We get to Christmas and we go, Christmas spirit. Let's do it. Let's make things better. Let's work hard. Let's lock arms and make this true in our lives, right? Like that article that I just quoted to you from, we act out the Christmas spirit. We're making visible this collective force and we're giving it power. Why do we try to do that? Because we know there's something wrong. We know the world's a mess. We know that we're a mess. We know that we don't have it all together. And so Christmas comes around. We go, let's try harder. Let's do better. Right? And so we start to operate in those ways. See, the heart level problem that they were dealing with when they went to make sacrifices thousands of years ago, right? They would go over and over because they knew there was something wrong. And they knew there was a separation between us and God. 
And they knew that they were sinful. And so we do the same things today. Why do you think Elf on the Shelf is so popular? It's a way to try to control the little sinners that live in your house. Right? Maybe this will control them a little bit. And I'm sorry if you feel, if you have Elf on the Shelf and you say, you just called my kids little sinners. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean. My kids are little sinners. I am a sinner. Every single one of us in the room, that is true. We are all sinners. We are all in need. Every single one of us. And so we take those things and we try to get, kind of uh, rig the system to control it. And if you think about it, in the Old Testament system, that's partly what was happening. God gave the law, not that it would ever fix everything, but to constrain evil. That is why he gave, partly why he gave the law. He gave the sacrifices so that there would be a reminder of our sinfulness and the separation between us and God. And it would come over and over. But the problem is, and it tells us right here in Hebrews chapter 10, is no amount of doing will ever fix it. On our part, no amount of us ever trying is ever going to fix it. It says there in in verse 1 of chapter 10, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. And so we do the same thing. We do the same thing on Christmas. We go, I better go to church. It's Christmas Eve, I should probably go. And it's like we're going to try to be better and I should go and I'll feel better because I went to the, to the building this year. And we're doing the same things. But what it tells us right here in Hebrews chapter 10 is we can never ever do enough. And so simply put, I want you to see this. The way that we miss Christmas is we make it about us. And we make it about what we do. And what we can do as a society and how we can make things better and how we can lock arms. And what scripture tells us is we can never do enough. That'll never do it. You could take Elf on the Shelf, buy 50 of them, put them all over your house in every room and in every place. You could wake your kids up every morning and remind them. Right? Round the year, year round, every day, the, the, the elf is watching, do better, and guess what? They're still going to mess up. It's not going to fix it. It's never going to make them perfect. It will never be able to do it. And it's because we're sinful, broken people, but we miss it when we make it all about us. And so what is it really about then? What do we celebrate at Christmas? Why is it the greatest news ever? Why do we say it's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? And the answer is right where we started tonight. Andy read to you from Matthew chapter 1. One of the most famous passages, right? The, the word comes to Mary and Joseph that she's pregnant, finds out she's pregnant, but then the angel comes to tell Joseph about Jesus coming. And it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And right there, before Jesus is even born, before he's laid in the manger, God tells them that this little child that is coming, that's miraculously been conceived, is fully God and fully man, perfectly together, and he's coming to save his people from their sins. You will name him Jesus, Yeshua, God saves And you're going to call this child God saves because it is God himself coming to save us. 
and from, from what we can never do. And so right there at the beginning, when Jesus is laid in the manger, it's under the shadow of the cross always. It's always about what he's going to come and do for us. And so what you have is Jesus humbles himself and comes into humanity to save us. And I would just submit to you that we all know that we need saving. When we talk about the Christmas spirit and we talk about elf on the shelf and we talk about all these things that we're trying to constrain evil in the world, we know there's something wrong. And we know that we need saving. And so God says he's coming to save us, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. All of us don't need better information. We don't need outward things to constrain the evil so that it fixes the thing. We need a savior. And the good news of what we celebrate as Christmas is that the savior has come. And so look at what it says here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Again, it's talking about the Old Testament law and the temple and the sacrifices that were made. But I would just say fill in the blanks with all the things that we do to try to make things better. That we do over and over and over again. And we try to to constrain evil and we try to hold things together. But then verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And I want you to look closely at that. That is a glorious truth of what it says. That here we're trying over and over and throughout the Old Testament, they were making these sacrifices and doing it again and again and again, year after year after year after year. And it couldn't fix the things. But when Jesus comes, he offers this sacrifice once and for all. And it says in right there at the end of verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He didn't come to give us better information, right? Sometimes we think of the Christmas spirit. We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to work harder and we're going to love one another and we're going to follow Jesus's example. It's part of it. We do want to follow his example. He is the perfect example. But if we think that that's what Christmas is, it's then making it all about us again. We follow his example and we do the best we can, but that's not why he came. That's not the meaning of Christmas. What is the meaning of Christmas? It's verse 14. For by a single offering, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you understand what that means? By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified are those that have put their faith in Jesus. In the context there, if you go back a couple of verses, you get that and he shows you that picture. Sanctification is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of your life as God continues to remake you in his image. When you put your faith in Jesus, the spirit comes into your life and begins to remake you from one degree of glory to another. But notice what it says right before that. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What tense is that when it says he has perfected? It's past tense. He's done it. It's finished. 
He didn't come to be an example that you do these things and if you do them well enough, then you get to the end of your life and maybe God accepts you. Jesus came to do for you what you can never do for yourself and finish the work. He came to save you from your sins. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Do you hear what that says? When you don't measure up and you don't, Jesus does. And he's done it for us. He's come and he's finished the work. It says he has perfected by a single offering in verse 14. Or verse 12, it says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Or you go back to the end of chapter 9. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many. What is it talking about? That he has come and he's lived the life that we haven't lived. The God of the universe comes into his own creation. And he lives perfectly in every way. And in all things, and he comes to the end of his life and he deserves all the blessings of loving God perfectly and loving people perfectly. And instead he says, I will take your sins upon myself and I will pay for them and I will bring it to nothing. Every mistake, every problem, everything that you've ever done wrong, Jesus says, I will take it upon myself and I will finish it. And so that's why it says in verse 14, For a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. If you are in Jesus right now, God sees you as perfect. His righteousness given to you. Do you understand how glorious that is? Do you understand what we celebrate at Christmas? It's not presents. It's not trying to be better. It's not locking arms. It's not all these things that we make it to be. It's that the God of the universe has come to us and saved us by no doing of our own. And by grace through faith, he gives it to us. Praise God. How awesome is that? That our creator humbled himself to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Please don't miss that. Pray that you wake up tomorrow. And the first thing when you open your eyes, you say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that you love me so much that you came and humbled yourself in this way to do what I could never do for myself. And I pray that everything flows out of that. That you get up and everything is a huge blessing. You recognize it as such. That it's all what he has done. And so I'll just end here. And I want you just to consider this real quickly. The joy that comes when we have the true meaning. You can wake up tomorrow and you can go the other way. And it can become busyness and all the stuff. And what we do and all these things. And you get caught up in all that. Or you can go back to start to think about like. It's what I do and being better and working harder and all those kind of things. And that's like getting right back on the treadmill of the Old Testament. And making sacrifices and trying to be better. And then you're going to blow. You're probably going to blow it tomorrow, right? Your kids are going to get up super early. And then you're going to be tired. And then you're going to be frustrated. And then people will come over. And then suddenly, oh. And you'll be like, oh, no, I blew it again. But in Jesus, you have been perfected by his sacrifice once and for all. 
And so look at what it says here right at the end in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You hear what he says? When you have those moments, you look to Jesus and you draw near to God because you have complete access to your father because of what Jesus has done, because you have been perfected already in him. And that means you get to walk directly into God's presence, right? It's talking there about the temple and the Holy of Holies and being able to go into it. And it says now through Jesus and what he's done, we get to walk straight into his presence. And so tomorrow when you're tired and you're frustrated and you lose it, you confess your sin and he forgives you and you say, thank you, God, for what you've done. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We're still in process, but he sees you perfectly as Jesus. And so the very last thing then is verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Do you hear that? He who promised is faithful. We're not. That's why we're in trouble if it's on us. That's why we totally miss it if we make it about us. But he is faithful. And we can trust because he has done the work. And he's done it perfectly in every way. And so I pray that that would be over everything we do tomorrow. I pray that you would wake up in the glow of the glory of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that who has come to do what we could never do for ourselves. And we thank you. I pray that we would see this afresh tonight and in the morning as we awake, that we'd be overwhelmed with your goodness and what you've done for us. I pray that we'd be resting in your grace, knowing that all that we have and all that we are and all that we will be is because of your grace to us and what you've done for us in Jesus. And it's in his Wonderful name that we pray. Amen.